back in 2011, a man by the name of Brennan Manning, who was an author, a laicized priest, and a public speaker who died in 2013, was asked this question. What does an unbelieving world simply find unbelievable? He said, quote, The greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him with their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable, end of quote. Brennan Manning's answer to the question he was asked was just, a way of saying that the reason why so many people in the world today are not turning to Jesus as their Lord and Savior is because God's people are not living obediently to their God. If there was ever a time for God's people to be living obediently to their God, now is the time. Today is the day. For there are many people who are longing to see authentic Christianity lived out in our troubled, unbelieving society. The individual we're going to look at this morning, a man by the name of Gideon, one of the judges of Israel, was a man living in circumstances similar to our own. He was a man of faith living in the midst of an unbelieving society. And his faith was demonstrated by his obedience. As we look at his story, we will see what happens when a person attempts to be obedient to God's instructions in the midst of an unbelieving society. What do we find? We find that, number one, Obedience to God's instructions in the midst of an unbelieving society can be a dangerous undertaking for the faithful. Verses 25 to 27 of Judges chapter 6. Let me set what's going on here. Judge, uh, Judges, the book of Judges, is a series of judges, a series of individuals whom God raises up when the people of Israel, God's people, have been disobedient to God. God will send oppressing nations upon them, and then he raises up a particular individual, a judge, as they're called in the Bible, to deliver the people of Israel from their enemies who are oppressing them. A judge is, is not someone who's, re, again, rendering judicial decisions. A judge in this, is, in this instance is a person who is a military leader whom God raises up to deliver the people of Israel from their enemies. God had come to a, a man named Gideon whom he's going to use to deliver the Israelites from the Midianite peoples whom God had raised up to oppress them because the people of Israel were not obeying God in general. So God appears to a man named Gideon at night and says, you're going to be the person that I'm going to use to deliver the Israelites. He kind of questions God, hems and haws, and finally he realizes that God has appeared to him. He offers a sacrifice, and then God disappears. That same night that God appears to Gideon, he comes back and he says these words to Gideon in verses 25 to 27. It says this, Now it came to pass the same night, that is the same night that the Lord appeared to Gideon to tell Gideon what his instructions were going to be, or his call, 
It came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, to Gideon, take your father's young bull, that is a bull of superior quality, the second bull, meaning a bull that of, of, of high rank, of seven years old, a mature animal, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the wooden image that is beside it. And build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement and take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image which you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him. But because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night." Now here you see, God is giving instructions to Gideon. What is he to do? He is to tear down, after getting a bull, the object which he's going to use to, dis to tear down this Baal image. He says, take a prime bull, an exalted bull of seven years old, and I want you to tear down this altar of Baal. Then I want you to cut down this wooden image with it. And then I want you to erect an altar to me, place it on top of it. Then I want you to take the bull and I want you to sacrifice it to me. And I want you to take the wooden, the wood, the, the wooden image that you cut. I want you to light it on fire and burn the whole thing up. That's what I want you to do. Now, this Baal was a God that was worshiped by the Israelites at that time. And, and God says, destroy it. The altar of Baal was a raised stone platform for sacrificial rituals. The, the wooden image that he was to cut down was known as the Asherah pole. It was an object used in the worship of the Canaanite goddess who was the female counterpart of Baal. This deity was normally represented as a carved wooden image with exaggerated sexual features. Get rid of it, he says. But he does it at night. Why? Because he's fearful of whom? His family and the people of the city. Why would he be fearful? Because he was living in the midst of an unbelieving society. And he felt that he could not obey God's instructions in broad daylight without some kind of, some kind of adverse consequences as a result of his obedience. I look up the word dangerous. It's an adjective. It means able or likely to cause harm or injury or likely to cause problems or to have adverse consequences. Gideon understood that by obeying God's instructions in broad daylight, people were going to see him do it, and he was afraid that they were going to hurt him. So what does he do? He, goes, he does it at night under the cover of darkness, so he's not going to be recognized by being obedient. That tells me that a, a, a obeying God's instructions in, in an unbelieving society can be a dangerous undertaking for the people of faith. That's a true statement. It happened to Gideon. And it's going to be true as well for us as believers living in the unbelieving society in which we live. The path and the trajectory that we are on as a people is going to, pro, is going to present 
dangerous circumstances for among God's people. It'll be difficult to even profess that you are a believer without having facing insults and consequences of making such claims today. We're heading on a path that Gideon is facing. I'm not trying to scare people. I'm just telling you the truth. We're living in a society and we're facing uh, a future that is not going to be hospitable to the Christian faith. It's not. And obeying God will be difficult and dangerous. That's what verses 25 and 27 says to us. Secondly, obedience to God's instructions in the midst of an unbelieving society will generate public outrage and hostility against the faithful. Verses 28 to 30. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, there was the altar of Baal torn down, and the wooden image that was beside it was cut down, and the second bull, that exalted bull of high rank, was being offered on the altar which had been built. And so they said to one another, who has done this thing? In other words, who has committed this crime? And they, and when they had inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. He has committed this crime. Then the men of the city said to Joash, who was Gideon's father, bring out your son that he may die, because why? He has torn down the altar of Baal, and because he has cut down the wooden image that was beside it. In other words, we want him to die because he was obedient to Yahweh. That was the public response. He's doing exactly what God wanted him to do, and the society in which Gideon was living in said, put him to death. What does that tell you about the spiritual condition of the people that Gideon was living among? They have it backwards. In the Old Testament law, you were supposed to put to death anybody who was worshiping an idol. In this case, they want to put to death the one who destroyed the idol. Their values are upside down and twisted all around. We're heading in the same direction as a society and as a culture. That's true. We can see it. We're, we're not just walking there, we're running there. We haven't just turned our back on God. We're turning our back on God and we're running as far away from him as we can as a culture. That's the response of an unbelieving society. It's on the horizon. It reflects the spiritual condition of the people. That's the state of Israel at that particular time. They would not obey his voice. Not only, would they not, not only would they not obey his voice, they are giving homage to another God, another deity, and being critical of those who are worshiping the one true God. That's what's happening. Thirdly, obedience to God's instructions in the midst of an unbelieving society will cause some to question, rethink, and change their erroneous religious convictions. 
verse 31 and 32. But Joash said, the father, said to all who stood against him, would you plead for Baal? That is, are you standing up in his defense as if he needs a defense attorney? Would you save him? That is, does this, does this God need deliverance from the people, the people he's supposed to be ruling? Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by morning, Gideon's father says. If he, Baal, is God, let him plead for himself because his altar has been torn down. Therefore, on that day, he called him Jeroboam, saying, let Baal plead against him because he has torn down his altar. Did you see what happened? The first thing he does, the father of Gideon, is question. He says, would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? And I ask myself this question. Why doesn't the father ask that question before? Why does he wait till now to ask these questions concerning the, the legitimacy of Baal? You know why? Because his son was on the verge of being put to death. That's why. And when you face a personal crisis, it oftentimes gets you to rethink what is truly important, what is really true in life. This man, uh, this man Joash, the father of Gideon, was the one who set up this altar. This was his, but now he's starting to question it because he's facing a personal crisis. He may lose his son over this. And so now he's starting to rethink his religious convictions. Is Baal really God? Why doesn't he do something about my son if my son tore down his altar? And the reason why he's beginning to question and rethink the legitimacy of Baal as being God is because the obedience of his son. It was Gideon's obedience to God's instructions in an unbelieving society that caused Joash, his father, to rethink his own religious beliefs. So much so that he renames his son Jerub Jerubbaal. And what does that mean, Jerubbaal? Let Baal contend. In other words, if he's really God, let him do something to my son. And so he names him Jerubbaal, which is a, a continual reminder to the people in that day of the impotence and the powerlessness of Baal to do anything to Gideon. Because as long as Gideon's walking around being called Jerubbaal, it shows that Baal was powerless to do anything about what Gideon had done in tearing down his altar. But that's what happened to Joash. He began to rethink and reevaluate what's true. When you're obedient to God in the midst of an when you are obedient to God in, in, a, in an unbelieving society, you may be the person that God uses through, through your obedience to get other people to question what they believe concerning Jesus and the reality of the resurrection of the body. That's what can happen. Our obedience matters, not just to us, but to those around us, those who are closest to us. Fourthly, obedience to God's instructions in the midst of an unbelieving society will help establish a person's credibility as a leader of God's people in a time of crisis. Verses 33 to 35. Then... All the Midianites and the Amalekites, 
the people of the east gathered together and they crossed over the Jordan River and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. These were the enemies of the people of Israel and they're encamping, getting ready to fight the Israelites. Crisis. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. That is, the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, took possession of him for a particular task, and then Gideon blew the trumpet, and the Ibezerites gathered behind him, and he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who also gathered behind him. He also sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, Naphtali, and they came up to meet them. It's interesting that people now are starting to get behind Gideon. And you know why? They heard about his obedience. They recognized and saw that this man was obedient in the face of danger. And they said, this guy is willing. This is someone that we can get behind. And it was also interesting is that the first group of people who got behind him were the Abizarites. The Abizarites were the clan of Gideon. These were the very people who were seeking to, wanted to put him to death because he had tore down the altar. Now they're behind him and supporting him in fighting the enemy. So you saw not only was Joash affected by his obedience, but so weren't the rest of the people within that city. But all this to simply say is that those who are obedient to God's instructions in the midst of an unbelieving society will help establish your credibility especially among the community of faith because they will see that you truly believe what you believe. You're willing to stand for it and that's going to have an impact on people and people will follow that and that is needed today and will be needed more so as the days go forward. This is what will, this is what obedience to God's instructions in the midst of an unbelieving society will look like. It's very real. Maybe 10 years ago, I can give the same message. It may not have the same effect, but given what's going on in our nation, we can see it. We're, we're getting close. And we need to be aware of these things as God's people so that we're not taken by surprise when it does, because it's going to happen. And the people who are going to be most criticized are the ones who have the loudest voices. <laughs> So we need to understand and know what's coming so that we can remain firm, steadfast, and obedient in an unbelieving society. So what can we learn from Gideon's obedience response to God here? What can we learn? I think Gideon's obedience response to God should impact us in three ways. First of all, it should remind us that obedience to God should start in our own backyard. Obedience to God should start in our own backyard, meaning it should start with us, should it not? I think we need to keep in mind that God was calling Gideon to lead the people and deliver the people of Israel from the Midianites. That was what God was calling him to do. How effective do you think he's going to be in doing that when the people he's calling to lead to fight against the enemy find out there's an altar of Baal in his backyard and his father owned it? How effective do you think he's going to be as a leader? If he's not willing to walk God's ways himself, he's certainly not going to be able to influence anybody else to do the same. God is telling Gideon, you want to be obedient and you want to be successful and making a difference in the world, you need to be obedient. But the obedience starts with the individual first 
I'm reminded of the passage in, I believe it's 2 Corinthians. Uh, is it 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians? It is 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 6. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3 through 6, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not fleshy, but they're mighty in God. For what? pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and taking every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience has been fulfilled. Paul is saying to you church, you Corinthian church people, you want to make a difference, you want to get people to follow you, if you want to be critical of other people's disobedience, you must first look and make sure you're obedient yourself. As Gideon was tearing down the altar of Baal and cutting down the wooden images, we have to be able to do the same with those thoughts that are contrary to the ideals and values of God that may may exist in our own hearts and minds, because that's where it all starts. Jesus said it this way in Matthew, how can you tell your brother to get the, the speck out of his eye when you have a log in your own eye. Get the log out of your own eye first, then get the speck out of your brother's eye. Then you can see clearly. Obedience starts with the self. That's the first lesson we learn in this this passage. Secondly, Gideon's obedient response to God should motivate us to respond to God's instructions immediately without delay. Do you remember when God appeared to Gideon? When was it? It was at night, right? And when did Gideon do what God had told him to do? It was that very same night. He didn't delay. He did it immediately. The same instant obedience should be a part of our walk today. To become a Christian is relatively simple. To live like one is another matter, at least to do so consistently. We become a Christian by repentant faith. We live as a Christian only as we obey Christ's commands. The extent of that commitment is measured by the speed with which we obey. We learn that in this passage, Gideon's obedience response to God should motivate us to respond to God's instructions immediately and don't delay it. Thirdly, Gideon's obedient response to God should challenge us to examine our own motives for obeying God. Notice what he does. We learn that he was obedient to God quickly. He responded right away. But why does he do that? Why does he respond right away? It was not out of an eager desire to obey God's will. It was out of fear of the consequences from his father's family and the men of the city if he should tear down the altar of Baal in broad daylight. Gideon's motives for responding to God's instructions as quickly as he did is less than exemplary. Gideon's example should cause us to look within our own selves to see if our obedience to God's instructions are done for the right reasons. We could all be obedient and to the, out, to the outward eye of human beings, people will praise you for your obedience. But God looks at the motives, right? What did the Apostle Paul say? He said, some people preach the gospel, they're obedient, out of selfish ambition. Wrong motive. I don't care if they preach the gospel out of selfish ambition. They can do that because I know people's lives will be changed. 
But God knows why they're preaching the gospel, and it's not because of a love and a concern for people who need Jesus. They want to be recognized, or they have their own personal desires or goals that are not necessarily in line with the Christian ideals and values that one should have as a follower of Jesus. So those are the three things that, the three ways that Gideon's obedience should impact us as believers. It should remind us that obedience to God should start in our own backyard. It should motivate us to respond to God's instructions immediately, and it should challenge us to examine our own motives for obeying God. That's what this passage is about. A TV news camera crew was on assignment in southern Florida filming the widespread destruction of Hurricane Andrew. In one scene, amid the devastation and debris, stood one house on its foundation. The owner was cleaning up the yard when a reporter approached him. Sir, why is your house the only one still standing? Asked the reporter. How did you manage to escape the severe damage of the hurricane? I built this house myself, the man replied. I also built it according to the Florida State Building Code. When the code called for two-by-six roof trusses, I used two-by-six roof trusses. I was told that a house built according to code could withstand a hurricane. I did, and it did. I suppose no one else around here followed the code. When the sun is shining and the skies are blue, building our lives on something other than the guidelines in God's word can be tempting. But there's only one way to be ready for a storm, and that is to know God's word and to be obedient to it. Isn't that true? A storm may be coming, but God is calling his people to be obedient, even in the midst of an unbelieving society, even in the face of of hostility, even in dangerous times. The church has to, the reason why the church is still around today is because God has been faithful in allowing the church to endure persecution and hardship, and it must do so if it's going to remain. Gideon gives us an example that what can happen when we do so. People's lives will be changed. God will work through our obedience We're not just obedient because we need to be obedient for ourselves, though we need to do that. We also do it because it will have an impact on those around us, those who are nearest and dearest to us. Obedience matters. It matters to God, and it matters, should matter to us, even our motives. May God so move us and give us the courage and the strength that we need to be obedient to him in these days going forward. He will do so. He will give us that strength because he is faithful. He was faithful to Gideon, and he will be faithful to you and to me as we obey him in an unbelieving society. Would you please pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, we do know that The times in which we live are difficult, and many of us are concerned about the direction in which we're going. But in spite of all that, Lord, you you know all of these things. This isn't taking you by surprise. You weren't surprised when 
the Israelites disobeyed you in Gideon's day and you allowed the Midianites to come and harass them. You weren't surprised by that. And you raised up an individual and a group of individuals to meet their needs. We pray and we know that you will do the same today. And we ask, Lord, that you would give us the courage and the strength to be obedient to you, regardless of the costs and the, and the sacrifices that may need to be made in order to do so. We ask that you would give us the courage and the strength, Lord, to have such an intimate walk with you that when those times come, we will, we, will, we will respond in such a way that is pleasing to you and we will have the confidence to do so in a way that is honoring to you and a blessing to those around us so that people may see the one true God that is you, Lord Jesus. May no other God be in your presence. May you be worshiped and adored and glorified and praised. And may you be obeyed. Amen. Let us continue our worship this morning by singing Trust and Obey. Would you please stand? The lyrics will be on the screen. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. People want to be happy. What makes me happy? What will make you happy? There's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Happiness is found in obedience. And that's something. People are unhappy because they're not obedient. That's a key to happiness, obedience. May God bless you this week, and may you find joy in Christ this week as we seek to obey his will in the midst of an unbelieving society. Receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you, and may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Now go in peace. Amen.